Hey friends, this is John White, and you are listening to episode 76 in Stories from the Revolution. Last week in episode 75, my friend Kent Smith and I shared the first of three episodes on Luke 10's unique approach to disciple-making movements. I'm going to interrupt that sequence. We have two more to go of those episodes, but I'm going to interrupt that sequence this week because of the Super Bowl this coming Sunday. I feel like the Lord has given me something to share with you that is time-sensitive that has to do with the Super Bowl. In fact, here's the title of this week's um, episode, What to Look For During the Super Bowl. May not be what you expected in this podcast, but that's the title. Then the following week, Kent and I will be back talking about disciple-making movements and the unique approach that Luke 10 has to that. All right. Some years ago, uh, my wife Tammy and I were in Paris, and we had the opportunity to visit Notre Dame or Notre Dame. This was before the fire. I love history. So it was amazing to tour this more than 800-year-old church. It's huge. It's fascinating. Incredible history. But as I was standing out in the plaza looking at Notre Dame, one of the thoughts that went through my head was this. Really? This is what Jesus had in mind when he talked about church? I don't think so. I had a similar thought about the Super Bowl, actually not about the game itself, rather about the two commercials paid for by the He Gets Us campaign that will air during the game. These two commercials, at a cost of $20 million, with the goal of rebranding Jesus. Now, I'm sure these commercials will be well done. They'll be slick, cutting edge. These two commercials are part of a hundred million-dollar campaign to rebrand Jesus. And now these folks want to raise a total of a billion dollars for this campaign. My thoughts are similar to what I felt in front of Notre Dame. Really? That's the way Jesus would spend $20 million? That's the way he would do marketing? I don't think so. In episodes 69, 70, 71, 72, I explained several reasons why I think the He Gets Us campaign is actually a bad idea and why I think it will fail. What I mean by fail is that there will be minimal fruit. And by fruit, I mean what Jesus meant. His assignment to us is really clear. Matthew 28, make disciples. As you're going throughout the world, make disciples, teaching them to obey all the things that I've told you to do. So it's my opinion that in the end, there will be very little disciple-making as a result of this He Gets Us campaign. One of the reasons that it will fail is that, as Tony Daniels said in one of the episodes, they have totally misdiagnosed the problem. Their assumption is that the problem is Jesus as a brand. Jesus needs to be rebranded, and the result of that is... People will come to Jesus, right? But in reality, Tony said, and I agree with her, the problem is not the brand. The problem is the church. 
The very assumption upon which this campaign is based, in our opinion, is flawed. I'll say more about that in a minute. Another reason that this campaign will fail, and actually is a bad idea, as Kent Smith said in another episode, it is that the campaign will inoculate people against the real thing. Let me explain what I mean by that. Actually, this was Kent's idea, and I agree with him. It promises that Jesus will get them. And uh, the the idea of, of Jesus getting them, I think, is best captured in the word attunement, that Jesus attunes to us. He really understands us. He really gets us. The problem is that at some point, churches will have to follow up on anyone who responds to this campaign. And 20,000 churches have signed up to do this, giving volunteers and all the rest. The problem is, I feel pretty sure that most of these people themselves don't know how to get somebody. They're, they're not, they don't know how to attune to someone. Uh, I've come to love this word attunement. Here, here's a definition that Carl Lehman gave. <clears throat> I feel that somebody has attuned to me. If I feel like they really see me, they really hear me, they really understand me, they see how big it is, whatever the it is in my life, they see how big it is, and they are glad to be with me. And I have no doubt that Jesus gets us. But most Christians don't know how to do this kind of thing, to attune to somebody. Uh, a verse in Scripture that describes attunement very well is Romans twelve fifteen. Um, this is the verse that says, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. That's a critical part of attunement. But when somebody is weeping, what, what do typical church people do? How have we trained them? Primarily to give advice. We feel uncomfortable when they're uncomfortable. We want to help them feel better right away. We want to fix their problem. We want to tell them things like, listen, God is good all the time. That's not attunement. 65 million people have already left churches like this. If churches were really good at attunement, really good at getting people, people would be flocking to join and you wouldn't need a marketing campaign. But most churches aren't skilled at this. What people, uh, will, what people will experience uh, is that church doesn't, in general, get you or attune to you. Kent actually called this bait and switch. People inoculated against the real thing, making promises that cannot be fulfilled. Now, of course, none of this is intentional. Nobody's intending to bait and switch. I believe the people behind the He Gets His campaign have the best of motives, but I just think they're flat out wrong. Let me explain it this way. Suppose a restaurant in town has a great marketing program. I mean, they've got radio spots, they've got TV spots, social media, they show pictures, fabulous food, great service, reasonable prices. You will love this restaurant. But then you go to the actual physical restaurant and you find out none of these things are true. The food is terrible, the service is lousy, it's overpriced. What's the result? People basically say, been there, done that, not going back. They have been inoculated against the real thing. If you talk to people these days who don't go to church, many of them have had an experience in their past with church that was a really negative experience. It could have been anything from experiencing abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, bullying, 
lack of attunement, um, lack of ability to make friends. That's their actual tangible physical experience. No wonder they're not going back. And now we're going to send people into those same kind of churches. Again, there are exceptions to this. I'm, I'm overstating a bit, but generally speaking, I think that it's true. So in the end, it's my conviction that the He Gets His campaign will, I believe, not be successful at what Jesus told us to do, that is to make disciples. I think they will be no more effective than the I Found It campaign back in 1976. I told you about this in episode 69, sponsored by Campus Crusade for Christ. Bill Bright spent millions of dollars, the best marketing that money could buy in those days. Thousands of churches signed up as volunteers. They had lots of numbers. They could give you all the numbers of engagement and, dis and decisions and all this, but in the long term, very little fruit, few actual disciples. Uh, I think the He Gets Us campaign could learn a lot from the I Found It campaign. In fact, the president of the marketing agency behind the He Gets Us campaign um, tells us that making disciples isn't even the objective of the campaign. That's convenient. Let's don't even make that objective so we won't be in danger of failing. Here's what he said. I'm going to quote this guy, the president of the marketing agency behind the He Gets Us. Here's what he said, quote, ultimately, the goal is inspiration, not recruitment or conversion. In other words, we aren't really even about making disciples. All right, back to the two Super Bowl commercials. I want to plant a thought inside your head, actually a phrase. It's something that I'm going to say when I see these commercials, and you can decide if you want to join me or not. They're a little bit sarcastic, but sometimes that's the way I am. So you can see if you're comfortable with this. So I see the commercial. Here's what I'm going to say in my head. Well, I guess God's marketing program doesn't really work. So let's try this man-made program. Let me do it again. Well, I guess God's marketing program isn't working, doesn't work, so let's try this man-made program. Well, that begs the question, what do I mean by God's marketing program? I think God has two marketing programs. I don't really like the language. Marketing program sounds kind of commercial, kind of crass. Dictionary definition of marketing program is the action or business of promoting and selling products or services. So now Jesus is the product that we are promoting and selling. All right, having said that, play along with me for a little bit. We're going to use the same language. Using this language, we can say that God's first marketing program was Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says, that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. A key phrase, visible image. God with skin on. In the first century, if you wanted to see what God looked like, you could look at the physical body of a man named Jesus. He was the visible image of the invisible God. The same idea comes across in John chapter 1, verse 14. I love it in the message. 
Here's what it says. The word became flesh and blood. In other words, the word, the, the expression of God, which was Jesus, became flesh and blood. He became physical and moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> a great picture. As a result, we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son. John said, you want to know what God the Father is like? Look at Jesus, God in a physical body. So when Jesus walked into the neighborhood, God walked into the neighborhood. People were able to see what God looked like, hear what God sounded like, see what God acted like, what God felt like. God wasn't just an idea or a concept or even a force. God was a person. This is what incarnation means. It means to be enfleshed, to live out in the flesh, in a body. God was skin on. God was tangible. So Jesus was God's first marketing program. But then the physical body of a man named Jesus left the earth. God's marketing program, number one, came to an end, and marketing program, number two, began. Number two was also centered on a physical body. Now, as Paul said in many places, the church is the physical body of Christ. He says it in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Colossians 1, um, as some of those places. In Acts chapter 9, we, we see an amazing uh, expression of the same idea. So Acts chapter 9. Um, Saul, this is where Saul has a life-changing encounter with the risen Lord. Here's what the Lord says to Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting, persecuting me? Now, Saul had never met Jesus. He wasn't persecuting the person Jesus. What he was doing was seeking to persecute or destroy the church, which, by the way, was all house churches. But the Lord said to Saul that if you are attacking the church, you are attacking me. The church is the physical body of Christ in the world today. God in a body, God with skin on. So just like when Jesus was physically present, when now when the church shows up in a neighborhood, God shows up. But only if the church is functioning the way it was ended, intended to. Just because you have a church building doesn't necessarily mean that God is showing up. It's only if the church is functioning the way it was intended to. It's only if it was a healthy body with the gifts functioning, with the love flowing, with Christ as the head of the body, the actual leader, the one who brings the agenda when they meet. So what do people see when the church, the physical body of Christ, is functioning the way the body is supposed to function when that body is healthy. What do they see of God? Well, there are a whole bunch of things. I'm just going to name two, right? The first thing, according to Scripture, they see is love. John 13, 34 and 35 says this. Jesus says, let me give you a new command. Love one another in the same way that I loved you. You love each other. This is how everyone will recognize they will see that you are my disciples when they see with their own eyes the love you have for each other. Theologian Francis Schaeffer called this the ultimate apologetic. 
I would say it's also the ultimate marketing campaign. Love demonstrated in real time. But this demonstrated love often isn't happening in today's churches. So how many of the 65 million who have left church, the duns, walked out the door saying, wow, those people really love one another and they love me, but I'm leaving anyway? I don't think so. Because the church, the physical body of Christ on earth, no longer knows how to love well, no longer has relational brain skills, again, generalization, but generally true, we are reduced to simply a slick marketing campaign, slick commercials during the Super Bowl. What an inferior marketing program. So here's what I'm going to say on Sunday. See if you want to join me. Okay, I guess God's marketing program, that is the church, isn't working so well. So let's try this man-made program. Yeah, obviously, I'm being a little sarcastic, as I warned you. Here's another quality that the church, the physical body of Christ on earth, when functioning properly, demonstrates. Wisdom. Ephesians 3, 10 and 11 says this is actually God's plan. This is what God intended. Quote, God's intent, that is, this is God's plan, not man's plan. Maybe we could say God's marketing program, right? Was that now, through the church, remember the church is the physical um, body of Christ, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, manifold means multifaceted, wisdom of God, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you think rulers and authorities in heavenly realms will be one bit impressed by slick Super Bowl commercials this Sunday? I don't think so. On the other hand, where there is a group of Christians who are skilled at listening to each other, loving one another, honoring one another, and listening to Jesus together, the multifaceted, the multidimensioned wisdom of God emerges. And the powers and principalities say, wow, look at that. There's no explanation for what we're seeing except God is doing it. And I think it's not just cosmic powers that respond that way. Human beings are also amazed when that happens. There's no explanation except God is doing. This is God's wisdom that is emerging out of this group of human beings. This is not church where there are a few superstars performing on stage. It's not the one-man show of the megachurch. There is, on the other hand, something supernatural when the church, the physical body of Christ in the world, functions as a healthy ecosystem. I love that concept of an ecosystem, all the different dimensions functioning together in an interactive kind of way. Every member of the body, as in 1 Corinthians 12, working together, every member gets to play, no spectators. For a long time, I've loved 1 Corinthians 14, 26. This is, I think, the clearest verse about what church looked like in the New Testament. You could go to almost any place in the Roman Empire, and I think see this functioning. Here's what Paul says. When you come together, brothers, and the, the Greek there means when you do church, when you come to, together, brothers, everyone, that's the key word, everyone has a word of instruction, 
him, revelation, tongue, interpretation, probably other gifts as well. Let all of these things be done for the edification of the church. When that is done well, when there is a mature body of Christ, healthy body of Christ that knows how to function in this way, every part honored, the wisdom of God emerges in that situation. But this demonstrated wisdom isn't happening in very many churches. How many of the 65 million who've left the church, the duns, walked out the door saying, wow, I can really see the multifaceted of God functioning in my church. In fact, I was even a part of that. Even little me, I was contributing. I get to be a part of this. And the grace of God was flowing in our midst. But I'm leaving anyway. I don't think so. I don't think people leave churches like that. But because the culture of the church, the current culture of the church, rarely demonstrates the multifaceted wisdom of God, we are reduced to slick commercials during the Super Bowl. Once again, here's what I'm going to say on Sunday. See if you want to join me. A little bit of sarcasm in my voice. <laughs> oh, I guess God's marketing program, the church, isn't working. So let's try this Super Bowl commercial. All right. Final comment. In the first episodes, in, in five episodes that I've done on the He Gets Us campaign, I've been highly critical. <laughs> I think rightly so. But I want you to know that I'm not questioning the motive of the people behind this campaign. I, I believe they're, they love Jesus and they want people to know him. That's a good thing. I just think their methodology is deeply flawed. And I think it's a shame. I think it's a tragedy that they're planning on spending $20 million for two commercials or $100 million over, uh, overall or a billion dollars. We're going we're gonna to recruit that kind of money on marketing, really. God has a far better marketing campaign. We ought to spend that money figuring out how we can help the church begin to be healthy. Well, in Luke 10, we are not just critics. We're not just deconstructing the church. Um, Kent and Tony and myself, along with the whole Luke 10 community, want to provide a way forward, a way to help the church to return to what Jesus had in mind a way to help the church begin to function as the healthy physical body of Christ that it was intended to be, as the visible image of the invisible God. When it functions that way, it becomes the most powerful and effective marketing campaign imaginable. To that end, we have written and will be releasing in the next couple of months our second book. Um, Tony Daniels and Ken Smith and I have are the authors and by the way, the book itself is a kind of a tangible expression of an ecosystem of grace. Tony and Kent and I is a small little ecosystem. We all have different gifts. I mean, we're so different in the way we write, our writing style, the way we think. Things are important. But, but we have learned to work together. And I think out of this emerges a bit of the multifaceted wisdom of God. Well, we think that's the way the church is supposed to be functioning. So this new book, here's the title, main title, Relational Revolution, Five Shifts for Rediscovering Church as Healthy Heart-to-Heart -heart Connections. We believe this revolution is not just a good idea. It's not sort of a nice theory. We kind of hope that happens someday. 
we have daily proof that it is actually underway. The revolution is underway. And in this book, we're going to explain five aspects, five cultural shifts that are taking place and how you can engage with that. We think it's returning to what Jesus had in mind, where the church is the incarnating of the life of God, demonstrating God's love, God's wisdom, among a lot of other kinds of things. So I'll be talking more about the book in the weeks to come, let you know when that's going to be uh, available for you to, to purchase. All right, I'm going to end with this. Here's what I'm going to say <laughs> on Sunday, Sunday at the Super Bowl. See if you want to join me. Here's what I'm going to say. Oh, I guess God's marketing program, the church, isn't working. But that's changing. And we won't have to rely on these man-made marketing programs much longer. The revolution is underway. And the church, the physical body of Christ, is becoming, again, the most powerful marketing campaign the world has ever seen.